traditional brick-and-mortar retailing is on the ropes, and it's Amazon that's throwing all the punches, right? Well, not entirely. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. There's no denying that Amazon has been a disruptive force in retailing. Old-line merchandisers are struggling to keep pace with its many innovations in e-commerce. Consumer buying habits have changed accordingly. There are a lot of products for which we wouldn't dream of setting foot in a retail store anymore if we can push a few keys on our computer or smartphone, buy it online, and have it delivered within a day or two. But the picture is more complicated than that. There are economic factors undermining traditional retailing that have little to do with Amazon. We're going to get the broader view from my guest today, Vitaly Katzenelson, Chief Investment Officer with Investment Management Associates. He returns to the podcast to talk about the multiple underlying trends that are making life tough for brick-and-mortar retailers today and what steps they need to take to survive. One thing's for sure. In the years ahead, the retailing landscape is going to look a lot different than it does today. So here is my conversation with Vitaly Katzenelson. Vitaly Katzenelson, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Great to talk to you again. And this time our subject is the state of the retail business. And, of course, the general conventional wisdom about the decline in retailing is putting almost all of the blame on the shoulders of e-commerce and more specifically Amazon. But you have a more nuanced view of that uh, landscape, do you not? Tell me a little bit about what you think are some of the culprits that are leading to problems with traditional retailers today. Well, Bob, thank you very much. I think it's a great question. I think it's so easy to look at today's retail sales and blame basically for demise of traditional retailers just on Amazon because we can see how well Amazon is doing. We can see that we spent a lot more money on Amazon than we did 10 years ago. But I think the issue is a lot more nuanced, as you, as you pointed out. So think about this. We basically spent about $5.5 trillion at retail stores. That's both includes online and at brick and mortar. In uh, 2006, 1.5% of our total spending basically went to online retail. So which is about, let's say, let's say just to round numbers, it's basically in 2006, we spent about $100 billion online out of $5.5 trillion. And, you, and retail sales basically flatline over the last 10 years, you know, kind of haven't really grown much. If you look today, we spend roughly about 8.5% of our total sales go online. So let's say just round it up to $500 billion. So over the last 10 years, our spending online went up about $400 billion. Amazon is about 25 to 30% of that. But what's interesting, if you think about this, over the last 10 years, 10 years ago, we spent basically maybe $10, $10 billion on phones because mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, iPhone just came out barely 10 years ago. If you look at how much you spend on Nokia and a you know, dumb phone of Nokia phones, et cetera, about $10 billion. 
Today, I estimate we are probably spending close to $200 billion on smartphones. You know, our income hasn't grown much in the last 10 years, but $190 billion of it has been diverted from us spending money at retail to spending money on smartphones. That's a mm-hmm. lot of money. Then if you look at our wireless bill, maybe we spend roughly about $150 billion more on our wireless as well. And it's not just because we, you know, we probably pay about as much per line, but now we have a lot more lines. Now everybody has a cell phone, including my 12-year-old daughter and uh, my dog soon is going to have a cell phone as well. <laughs> so, so between just smartphones and wireless bills, we basically spend about $340 billion more on things that we haven't spent money on before. Those are gaining, and what's losing? I understand apparel sales are down, are they not, quite, yes, quite steeply? Yeah, exactly. Our income hasn't gone up, right? But the $340 billion had to, you know, had to be diverted from somewhere. And I think apparel is a big part of it, right? Because if you think about 10 years ago, the concept of casual Fridays, that when the employer throw you a bone and allow you to wear jeans to work. Now, if you look at how we dress today, if you wear jeans that don't have holes, it's already an upgrade, right? Because so <laughs> we basically, the way we dress is not as important to us as society anymore. So yes, a lot of what happened in the last 10 years is basically our tastes have changed. We spend less money on clothes. And in addition to that, if you look at the U.S. economy overall, we have five to six times more retail space per person than Europeans do. So if you think about U.S. retail infrastructure, it was basically was built for a different type of economy. It was built for an economy of the 90s and maybe early 2000s when people were basically borrowing money against their houses and spending them at retail stores. The opposite is happening. Consumer is deleveraging. And so we basically have too many stores because the store infrastructure was built for a very different consumer. And the retailers have been kind of slowly adjusting to that. So they obviously spend more money online now than we did before. But it's just one of the factors in the multivariable equation. Another thing we're spending more money on is healthcare. That's exactly right. Because now we have a lot more high deductible plans. So a lot more money coming directly from our pocket. Exactly right. So you have this equation where you have basically a lot more money goes to your smartphones, wireless bills. We spend less money on that. So that's taking money from your paycheck. You have a lot more money going out. By the, by, by the way, if you think about this, think about how many little services you pay for now that you haven't paid for before. Think about Dropbox, Netflix, Spotify, All these things add up to another bucket that I very hard to quantify. So my point is we basically have too many stores and Amazon has done an incredible job capturing a great market share of online spending. But it's just one of the variables in the equation. And I think the reason it's important is that if you are like an I'm an analyst, so I spend all my day analyzing companies and trying to find high quality companies that I can buy cheap. And when I analyze retailers, if the only thing I'm solving for how well they compete with Amazon, then I'm basically missing 80% of the picture. What do you mean when you say consumers are deleveraging? Consumer debt is not down from the 90s, is it? Consumer debt actually has declined. Mm-hmm. The issue was that we have a new debt that's went up, which was a college debt. But consumer debt overall has either declined or flatlined. I, I have to look at the numbers again, but it's, it's not rising. Yeah. Where in the 90s and 2000s, early 2000s, it was rising. 
because we were basically home equity debt was going up a lot. Seems counterintuitive to me, though, because um, so many of online sales require the use of a credit card. So I would think that that would load up consumer credit cards with all the activity happening online. Well, it's a, when you use credit card as a medium of transaction, it doesn't mean that if you pay off the bill at the end of the month, then consumer debt is not, has, has not gone up. It just If in the past you used cash and now you use a credit card or debit card, as long as the, you pay off the bill at the end of the month, then consumer debt hasn't gone up. Okay, so the U.S. is over-retailed, as you say, over-mauled, maybe, <laughs> in addition. Yeah. Other countries are facing many of these same factors. So why why was the U.S. so over-retailed vis-a-vis other developed economies? Well, it's hard for me to speak for. I haven't spent a lot of time analyzing the European economy, for instance, from a perspective of how their retailers are doing. But I think U.S. just basically can justify to some degree why we had so many retail stores because we have a larger distances, right? So mm-hmm. because the dense population is different, you have more retail stores. And also, if you bet in the past against U.S. consumer, you lost until that trend stopped because U.S. consumer was an unstoppable force because we were borrowing money and buying more things. And if that part has stopped for the most part. I can't really tell you what's going on in other economies, in Europe or other countries, but I can speak for, for the U.S. market. Now, we're speaking only a couple days after Black Friday, so it's really too early to assess the 2017 shopping season. But I'm wondering, just based on initial signs and initial sales that you've heard about, what is this season to date telling you, if anything, about how some of the factors that you've been looking at might be changing now or not changing? Well, I think one thing is is given that more sales are going online, right? But I think one point I want to stress is this. Today, we look at Amazon, and everybody looks at Amazon and thinks about how Amazon is going to disrupt their industry. And also, it's assumed that if Amazon is going to go in, into a specific industry, it's going to be able to disrupt it and kill everybody there. But I think they're given kind of Bezos and company a little bit too much credit. Amazon does not walk on water. The laws of economics still apply to Amazon as they apply to any other company. And the reason I'm bringing this up, because if you look at Amazon, you look at their successes, they have succeeded in so many different industries. Like if you look at AWS, like which is their web services, mm-hmm. this is a book retailer originally that was able to become the biggest cloud farm in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And which is completely out of left field. But what, what's interesting about this, Jeff Bezos gave an interview and he explained that one of the reasons why Amazon is so private about what they're doing is that they don't want to attract competition to what they're doing. When they were building AWS, competitors looked at them and said, huh, this is a bookseller that get going into computers. What do they know about this? Mm-hmm. So because they were ignored for five or six years, they had a usually, according to Jeff Bezos, they have about 18 months window where they have a competitive advantage. And then after that, competitors jump on them. With web services, they had a five-year competitive advantage. Its competitors did not go after them for five years. Today, everybody looks at Amazon, and everybody takes them very seriously. And because everybody takes them very seriously, I think Amazon will be facing so much greater competition at everything they do. If you are a retailer today, your boardroom, half the time you'll be talking about Amazon. And you probably you can devote probably a little bit too much energy to Amazon. But at the same time, that means that Amazon will be facing a lot more competition in the future 
it is going to be a lot more difficult for them to do as well. AWS for Amazon kind of became their cash cow, which allowed them to go on losing money on the retail side for years, whereas I guess traditional brick-and-mortar retailers didn't have anything of that kind. So that must have been a big advantage to them, right? I think so. But I think, to me, it's also what's really interesting about AWS, that is so much outside of kind of Amazon core expertise of kind of being a retailer. And their success in AWS kind of stunned everybody. And basically, that made everybody believe that they can succeed at anything. And I think it's very important to understand that it was an incredible success. I want to give them credit for that. But what I want to emphasize is that the reason they succeeded in AWS as well as it did, because competition, which is basically the Google, the Facebooks, and a whole bunch of others, IBMs, basically ignored them for a long time. But to answer your question also, yes, Amazon seems to be able to subsidize they have a one business that's making money and that subsidizes another business that's losing money and so its biggest competitive advantage so far has been its willingness to lose money meanwhile though we have a number of traditional retailing brands venerable decades old in some case over a century old retail brands that are struggling to reinvent themselves. Now, we aren't talking about individual stocks here, and I would never ask you to talk about an individual company and its prospects, but I would like you to to comment on whether you think that there is a point in retailing where certain brands simply have a shelf life based on public perception that they simply cannot recover from the perception that they're old and dying and dead and that there's nothing they can do to reinvent themselves. Is that a possibility? I think the kind of your, your traditional department stores are dying. I'm not sure they're going to exist 10 years from now. And they, if they will exist, they'll be just a fraction of what they are today. I can mention, like, I don't own this company, so I can just mention these names. I have a no loan or short position, so I can talk about them, you know. But if you look at Sears, right, they kind of killed themselves, really, because they just tried to manage the company for cash flows and, and completely stop investing in their stores about 10 years ago. So that one was kind of a suicide, like death. It's mm-hmm. a kind of was self-inflicted. But if you look at Macy's and others, it basically just became a lot less relevant. You used to go to Macy's because they had a lot of brands. Mm-hmm. They had a brands that provided kind of unique shopping experience, but online made them less relevant because you can now go directly to brands' websites. So that experience has changed. And they're probably too many stores as well. And their stores are probably too large anyway. So I I can see how Macy's may be around in 10 years, but it's going to be much smaller company than it is today. So let's talk a little bit about what are some of the successful strategies or the potentially successful strategies that traditional retailers can adopt in order to survive in this new era. The changing in-store experience. What kind of vibe or what kind of image do you think brick-and-mortar stores will have in years to come that will allow them to survive and and compete against e-commerce? I think it's going to be kind of omni-shopping where you buy online, you buy on your iPhone, or you're buying at the brick and mortar, it's going to become a seamless experience. And I think that's basically the future of shopping. And I think this is why Amazon is going to bought Whole Foods, because they need to have the tangible element. Some of sales will happen online, and a lot of sales still going to happen in brick and mortar. When I look at companies and I look at the goods they sell, I kind of have a spectrum. On the one extreme, I have a, a pure commodity 
like a product where the price is the only thing that matters, where the, where the quality is universal. So let's say sugar, it's, it's a commodity, mm-hmm. right? It's white, it's universal, price per pound, all that matters. Or the best, the best example would be copy paper, right? The paper that goes into a printer, that's a commodity. So it doesn't matter where you buy it. You don't need to touch it. It's a pure commodity that you don't need to touch. On the other extreme of that would be clothing and maybe shoes. For most of us, we need to touch, we have to put shoes on because our feet are all slightly different and we need to walk in shoes. So I would argue that more and more sales, will, like more and more copy paper will be sold online versus maybe some of shoe sales will, be, will go online, but probably a big chunk of it is still going to be the stores that sell shoes are still going to be around. So whenever I look at products, I start thinking, okay, where does it lie in that spectrum? The more it is closer to shoes, the more comfortable I feel about brick and mortar. The closer it is to copy paper, the less comfortable I feel about that retailer. But to some extent, I wonder, will the retailing environment in some areas just become unrecognizable? I'm thinking, for instance, of the evolution of the Apple stores. They don't even want to call them stores. They want to call them, what, town squares, community centers? Though That could all be a lot of retailing hype. I don't know. But it does kind of bode for a future of stores that don't look anything like the stores we have today? Or is that just a very narrow area of retailing because it's high-tech, because because it's the type of product being sold? Well, I think Apple is kind of a unique situation because they sell their own products for the most part. So they kind of really don't care where you buy. Do you buy online or you buy at the store? Mm-hmm. They just want the stores that are there to support the brand. The Apple stores have a different mission than a normal retailer. If you come to Apple store and you buy things online from Apple's website, they don't care. For them, it's still going to be the same amount of money. They just, it's just really there. The stores are really there to cultivate their brands. When you look at Targets and Walmarts, etc., yes, I mean, I think their business models will evolve over time. And I think Amazon will show us a way how, how maybe five years from now, you come to Target store and you put items in the cart. And you walk out and you won't even have to go through the register anymore. I think that's probably the future of shopping experience. Because today, it's still, when you go, when you go shopping, if you go right after work, still kind of a, not necessarily a pleasant experience to shop, right? Because you still have to you'll be stuck at the cash register, stay in line, this kind of stuff. All those things, technology will solve a lot of those problems, I think, in the future. So shopping experience mm-hmm. probably will improve. Amazon kind of entering this space is a big net positive for, for consumer because Amazon looks at the retail as a, with fresh eyes. They haven't been in brick mortar retail for 50 years, right? Just like Apple looked at retail stores and they completely could imagine them with a kind of a, they had a blank piece of paper and they created a store, completely new store. I think Amazon will have a similar kind of impact that they will reimagine how the store should function. But the, the thing is this, all those concepts are copied, right? So if Amazon comes out with this incredible model for store, Walmart will be paying close attention to them, and so, is, so will Target, and they'll copy it very fast as well. As you say, you think the store of the future, the, the traditional store of the future, will need to have Bezos-like 
qualities. <laughs> you said being totally consumer focused, taking risks, thinking long term. I guess that pretty much sums it up pretty well as to what are some of the hallmarks or the earmarks of a successful store going forward, right? Yes, I think it's actually more, it speaks more about the management, right? It's a basis ability to ignore short-term profitability and basically sacrifice short-term profitability to build a competitive advantage. That's what mm -hmm. made Amazon so powerful. Everybody else, with a few exceptions, was focusing on the quarterly numbers. And this is why they were basically did not invest enough online. In a lot of retailers were paying a price for that. Well, I think this gives us an excellent vision of the future of retailing and the ways by which retailers can survive in the future and also the wisdom that it isn't all the fault of Amazon that today's traditional retailers are having problems. So Vitaly Katzenelson, I want to thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. It's great to speak with you again. Thanks very much for being with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Bob. That was my conversation with investment advisor Vitaly Katzenelson talking about the changing world of retailing. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.